Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I am Chris Curran, here to accompany you on some sort of journey here, where every day, every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, we talk about some topics like spirituality and meditation and mindfulness. And we really look into the parts of our lives that are so important, but yet they're unseen. We can't see them with our eyes, but we know that they're the most important part of life. Right? How many of you have ever looked around at the physical world and said, you know, this is pretty good, but there's got to be more than this. And that's what this show is all about. And this show is also about a very practical approach to spiritual growth, spiritual progress, spiritual elevation. Because it's one thing to gain knowledge. Knowledge is good. We like knowledge, sure. But in the end, what really matters is how we use that knowledge, what we do with it, how far we can go up the spiritual ladder. That's what really counts. Because like our bodies, I think a lot of our knowledge is just going to leave us when we die. Because what is it? Where is it? So so our website is themysticshow.net. Themysticshow.net. And there's all the information there about the show when it plays, like I said, 7 a.m. Eastern Time every weekday. And then that's the show from each morning is replayed every evening at 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern Time. So it's replayed twice. And we have a phone number here. And we also have a Twitter account uh, at The Mystic Show on Twitter. So follow us on Twitter. Um, we're going to, yeah, we post some. We haven't posted much because we're just starting out. I think this is our eighth show or eighth episode, I should say. So the phone number here, and I just realized the ringer is off on this phone right here. So, all right, I'm turning the ringer on. So now if you call, I will hear it and answer. Uh, the number is 973-498-8033. 973-498-8033. And thanks again to our, our I want to call them a sponsor, but they're not really a sponsor. It's just our it's a contributing organization called Pause Your Life. We're going to talk about them in a little while. So let's, speaking of Pause Your Life, um, part of the Pause Your Life organization is obviously helping people hit the pause button on their life. Um, and the other thing, well, the other main thing that Pause Your Life does is help people to basically drop their unwanted baggage and 
become free and light, right? So basically all the negative feelings, the baggage, the, um, the anger, the frustration, we, we, uh, pause your life helps you just put that down and just be a human being. And we've been reading from a James Allen book called Byways of Blessedness. And we love James Allen. He's one of the great mystics. And that's that doesn't even do him justice because I was just telling someone the other day who was here at the studio about some James Allen books. And everybody knows As a Man Thinketh, or most people know of that book. And it's a great book. It's a classic. And it's James Allen's most well-known book. But I've read a handful of his other books, and they are just astonishing how, you know, beautiful and succinct and direct and how it really, he really explains things so simply that you can understand it in a practical way. And he, he just does all that. It's so simple. It's just beautiful. So we're reading from the book Byways of Blessedness, which is one of my favorites. And we're on chapter four, which is burden dropping. So like, that's why I was saying that that's one of the things that pause your life helps with dropping all the baggage and the burdens. So here, James Allen is talking about this. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read some of this. This is chapter four, burden dropping from Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. We hear and read much about burden bearing, but of the better way of burden dropping, very little is heard or known. Yet why should you go about with an oppressive weight at your heart when you might relieve yourself of it and move amongst your fellow heart-free, and cheerful. No man carries a load upon his back except to necessarily transfer something from one place to another. He does not saddle his shoulders with a perpetual burden and then regard himself as a martyr for his pains. And why should you impose upon your mind a useless burden and then add to its weight the miseries of self-condolence and self-pity. Why not abandon both your load and your misery, and thus add to the gladness of the world by first making yourself glad? No reason can justify, and no logic support, the ceaseless carrying of a grievous load. As in things material, a load is only undertaken as a necessary means of transference and is never a source of sorrow. So, in things spiritual, a burden should only be taken up as a means towards some good and necessary end, which, 
when attained, the burden is put aside. And the carrying of such a burden, far from being a source of grief, would be a cause for rejoicing. We say that body, bodily mortifications, which some religious ascetics inflict upon themselves, are unnecessary and vain, and are the mental mortifications, which so many people inflict upon themselves, less unnecessary and vain? Where is the burden which should cause unhappiness or sorrow? It does not exist. If a thing is to be done, let it be done cheerfully, and not with inward groaning and lamentations. It is of the highest wisdom to embrace necessity as a friend and guide. It is of the greatest folly to scowl upon necessity as an enemy, and to wish or try to overcome or avoid her. We meet our own at every turn, and duties only become oppressive loads when we refuse to recognize and embrace them. He who does any necessary thing in a niggardly and complaining spirit, hunting the while after unnecessary pleasures, lashes himself with the scorpions of misery and disappointment, and imposes upon himself a doubly weighted burden of weariness and unrest under which he incessantly groans. I will give my cheerful, unselfish, and undivided attention to the doing of all those things which enter into my compact with life. And, though I walk under colossal responsibilities, I shall be unconscious of any troublesome weight or grievous burden. You say a certain thing, a duty, a companionship, or a social obligation, troubles you is burdensome, and you resign yourself to oppression with the thought, I have entered into this and will go through with it, but it is a heavy and grievous work. But is the thing really burdensome, or is it your selfishness that is oppressing you? I tell you, that that very thing which you regard as so imprisoning a restriction is the first gateway to your emancipation. That work which you regard as a perpetual curse contains for you the actual blessedness which you vainly persuade yourself lies in another and unapproachable direction. All things are mirrors in which you see yourself reflected, and the gloom which you perceive in your work is but a reflection of that mental state which you bring to it. Bring a right 
an unselfish state of heart to the thing, and lo, it is at once transformed and becomes a means of strength and blessedness, reflecting back that which you have brought to it. If you bring a scowling face to your looking glass, will you, will you complain of the glass that it glowers upon you with a deformed visage? Or will you put your face right and so get back from the reflector a more pleasing countenance? If it is right and necessary that a thing should be done, then the doing of it is good, and it can only become burdensome in wishing not to do it. The selfish wish makes the thing appear evil. If it is neither right nor necessary that a thing should be done, then the doing of it, in order to gain some coveted pleasure, is folly, which can only lead to burdensome issues. The duty which you shirk is your reproving angel. The the pleasure which you race after is your flattering enemy. Foolish man, when will you turn round and be wise? It is the beneficence of the universe that it is everywhere and at all times, urging its creatures to wisdom as it demands coherence of its atoms. That folly and selfishness entail suffering in ever-increasing degrees of intensity is preservative and good. For agony is the enemy of apathy and the herald of wisdom. What is painful? What is grievous? What is burdensome? Passion is painful. Folly is grievous. Selfishness is burdensome. Eliminate passion folly, and selfishness from your mind and conduct, and you will eliminate suffering from your life. Burden dropping consists in abandoning the inward selfishness and putting pure love in its place. Go to your task with love in your heart, and you will go to it lighthearted and cheerful. The mind, through ignorance, creates its own burdens and inflicts its own punishments. No one is doomed to carry any load. Sorrow is not arbitrarily imposed. These things are self-made. Reason is the rightful monarch of the mind, and anarchy reigns in his spiritual kingdom when his throne is usurped by passion. When love of pleasure is to the fore, heaviness and anguish compose the rear. You are free to choose. 
Even if you are bound by passion and feel helpless, you have bound yourself and are not helpless. Where you have bound, you can unbind. You have come to your present state by degrees, and you can recover yourself by degrees, can reinstate reason and dethrone passion. The time to avoid evil is before pleasure is embraced. But once embraced, its train of consequences should teach you wisdom. The time to decide is before responsibilities are adopted. But, once adopted, all selfish considerations, with their attendant grumblings, whining, and complaining, should be religiously excluded from the heart. Responsibilities lose their weight when carried lovingly and wisely. What heavy burden is a man weighted with which is not made heavier and more unendurable by weak thoughts of selfish desires? If your circumstances are trying, it is because you need them and can evolve the strength to meet them. They are trying because there is some weak spot within you, and they will continue to be trying until that spot is eradicated. Be glad that you have the opportunity of becoming stronger and wiser. No circumstances can be trying to wisdom. Nothing can weary love. Stop brooding over your own trying circumstances and contemplate the lives of some of those about you. Here is a woman with a large family who has to make ends meet on a pound a week. She performs all her domestic duties, down to the washing, finds time to attend on sick neighbors, and manages to keep entirely out of the two common quagmires, debt and despondency. She is cheerful from morning to night, and never complains of her trying circumstances. She is perennially cheerful because she is unselfish. She is happy in the thought that she is the means of happiness to others. Were she to brood upon the holidays, the pretty baubles, the lazy hours of which she is deprived, of the plays she cannot see, the music she cannot hear, the books she cannot read, the parties she cannot attend, the good she might do, the friendships she is debarring from forming, of the many pleasures which might only be hers if her circumstances were more favorable. If she brooded thus, what a miserable creature she would be. How unbearably laborious her work would become. How every little domestic duty would hang like a millstone around her neck, dragging her down to the grave, which, unless she altered her state of mind, she would quickly reach, killed by 
selfishness. But, not living in vain desires for herself, she is relieved of all burdens and is happy. Cheerfulness and unselfishness are sworn friends. Love knows no heavy toil. Here is another woman. With a private income which is more than sufficient, combined with leisure and luxury, yet, because she is called upon to forfeit a portion of her time, pleasure, and money to discharge some obligation which she wishes to be rid of and which should be to her a work of loving service or fostering in her heart some ungratified desire, she is perpetually discontented and unhappy and complains of trying circumstances. Discontent and selfishness are inseparable companions. Self-love knows no joyful labor. Of the two sets of circumstances above depicted, and life is crowded with such contrasted instances, which are the trying conditions? Is it not true that neither of them are trying, and that both are blessed or unblessed in accordance with the measure of love or selfishness which is infused into them? Is not the root of the whole matter in the mind of the individual and not in the circumstance? All right, we will end there, reading from Byways of Blessedness by James Allen, Chapter 4, called Burden Dropping. We'll just take a quick break. Okay, thank you to Anya for this musical interlude. It's called Silver Inches. I think it's off of her album, A Day Without Rain. So, wow. You can tell from this James Allen book how how clear and simple he makes it, you know. And what what is the... What is the common denominator to all of James Allen's writings and teachings? I think it's the fact that in the end, 
the quality of our lives comes down to the quality of our thinking. And that, to me, that is so anti-modern, anti-modern philosophy or thinking. Because nobody, almost no one gives importance to the mind and what they're thinking. The mind is totally taken for granted and we don't even think about it. But yet it's the most powerful part of ourselves. It's the part can that can hurt us or help us. And we're the ones who choose which one it does. So anyhow, some of you... Um, we might actually, we might publish some copies of this James Allen book. Um, so then, then you can uh, maybe get one and uh, read it or read along. I think some people might be reading along with their book as I'm reading. So, all right. So you're listening to The Mystic Show, and I'm Chris Curran, and themysticshow.net is our website, themysticshow.net. And the phone number to call me here is 973-498-8033. And yeah, if you have a question or you have a comment, you want to give me a call, please do. Feel free. Don't think that it's a burden. (laughs) If you think it's a burden, please drop it. All right. So I wanted to tell you a little story about a trip I took about, you know, it's unbelievable. I think it's five years now. So five years ago, I think it was 2008. Yeah. I took a a trip. I was going to go spend some time with my spiritual guide and which is a great thing to do because you know when you talk about like interrupting your normal routines in life and you know spending some time with yourself and uh, learning about yourself and just giving your your soul some room to breathe um, you know Taking several weeks and going to spend time with your spiritual guide is just, it's probably the greatest thing you can do in life, actually. And probably the thing that'll do you the most good in life. So I decided to go spend some time with him. And I decided I was going to go for an extended trip. So I don't think I... I booked my trip, I can't remember, if I booked my trip for to be like a seven or eight week trip, or if I just, I didn't buy one-way tickets, so I must have booked a return date, but I don't remember how long. Anyhow, I ended up, my trip in total ended up being seven or eight weeks, and it started in Dubai, which is the United Arab Emirates, 
which is right near uh, Abu Dhabi. That's the other big city right there. So that was the place where I first landed, and that's where that's where Chariji was. And uh, he was staying at a local uh, local Abiyasi's house, and Abiyasi just means a student, by the way, because we're all just students trying to learn. Um, so Chariji was staying there, and I I went to Dubai and spent a week there. And, um, you know, got to see him for a little bit and uh, meditate and hear some of his talks. Um, And it's just a wonderful experience because for me, the whole experience is very one-pointed. I'm very focused on learning and meditating and receiving help from the person who's helping me. Right, I want to. I want to be open to being helped. So yeah, it, for me, I, I have to come to spirituality with a attitude that I'm willing to be helped, and I'm open to being helped, and really, I'm open to change as well. I think that's. I think those are some very fundamental keys to really any training, but definitely spirituality. Um, so I spent a week in Dubai, and then then the trip moved to India. And actually, the rest of the trip was in India, just different cities. So first we went to Bangalore, which is, I think, southern India. Kind of in the central part of southern India. And I think we spent a week there. I can't remember. I think it was a week. And they have an ashram there. They have a, a retreat center there. That so I stayed at a few different places, and it was it was really good. Then we went to Chennai, which is the headquarters of the of the organization. So we actually spent three weeks there, and it was three weeks. I don't know. I it's kind of a long time, but I just you know I was just totally checked out and just being really. So I really enjoyed myself. And what I did was, uh, I don't know, there was a bookstore and I found this bookstore and I bought all three of the books of the Lord of the Rings. You know, three big books. It's like, I don't know how many pages combined, right? I don't even know. 1,500, 2,000. It's not a small, you know, trilogy. But what I did is over those three weeks, I actually read all three books um, and it was, it was great. It was just that it was, you know, cause you can be serious about your spiritual practice, but you can't be serious 24 hours of the day. Like you kind of have to, at some point, give your mind a little rest and just, you know, have a little change. You know, we're not robots, you know, we're human still which is good, thank God. Um, so I was in Chennai, and then then we went to Calcutta, which I had never been there before. I had been to, well, I had never been to Dubai, but, but I had been to Bangalore and Chennai. 
But so we went to Calcutta and I had never been there before. And that was pretty interesting. I mean, we stayed in a hotel and Chatterjee was staying with one of the Abiyasis again. And um, that was in uh, someone's home. And it was it was it was a home where we were invited from time to time. So we got to spend some time with Chatterjee and um, it was nice to be able to just talk to him a little and hear him speak to others. And I think mostly when I'm with the spiritual guide, I, I don't talk too much. Like I, I just want to listen and be there and I don't know. I just, I have never felt like just blabbing and blabbing and just talking and talking on and on. Um, some people do. Most people don't though, because there's an atmosphere around him that is I think he meant he meant Charji mentioned that his master used to say that he himself he was the silencer so people would come before him and they would just become silent um I've definitely experienced that because I've had questions in my mind that I wanted to ask him and as soon as I get in front of him I the the questions are gone Either I forgot the question or I immediately knew the answer. Like the answer was so plain and simple that it was like, well, I don't have to ask that question. That's easy. <laughs> um, that's happened every time, basically. Almost every time. I probably could say every time. If, if you ever have questions, they just sort of go away and it's so simple. Because, you know, the reason, I think, is because a lot of the questions come from our intellect, from our mind, and when we're with the spiritual guide, it's a heart-to-heart connection, and it's so deep and spiritual that it's just beyond the mind, you know? And so the, the, mind, the mind likes to, you know, nitpick and make nuances and get curious about details and all these things, but the heart doesn't do that. The heart is just more pure, more based on need, necessity, and of course love, and of course giving, right? So then from Calcutta, we went to Lucknow, and this was when I rode on my first train in India. If uh, I'd heard so much about trains up till then, have you rid have you ridden on a train in India? And I always said no. So here was my chance. I finally was going to get to, you know, ride, you know, take a trip on an Indian train. And of course, it's like an overnight trip because it's I forget how many hours journey, but it was overnight. So you get like a little. Like during the day, you sit in a seat, but at night they like fold out these little. Um, it, it's like a little bunk beds or something, you know? So you actually have a place to lay down and sleep because it's overnight and you have to sleep. So they people come through with food and sell and offer the food, you know, offer to sell you the food and everything. And, you know, the trains are pretty much old and beat up, but but they work and they, you know. So at night, went to sleep 
And it was funny because in the middle of the night, I don't know why, I, I woke up and there was two people sitting on my bed. <laughs> and there was like three people sitting against my bed. So I was like surrounded by all these people who were literally like inches away. And 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 like I said, there was two people s- sitting on my bed, like on my bed while I'm sitting there sleeping. And and I, of course, I had my bag underneath the underneath my bed, and I was you know, when you're traveling, you have certain valuables and you know, your passport and your you know things like that. So I was concerned about that, but uh, apparently that's that happens at night. When the train stops at night, all these people just sneak on the train and sort of hide or try to just sit anywhere. And then I think, uh, you know, the, when the train man comes through, he I think he kicks people off. I don't know how it works. It's just there's there's not a lot of rules and there's not a lot of people following the rules a lot of times. Um, so it, it's very chaotic, which don't get me wrong, there is a certain beauty to the whole chaos of India. In fact, that's one of the things it, that might be one of the biggest opportunities for learning as a spiritual aspirant from going to India from America, I should say, because here in America, everything is um, organized, systematized. There's rules. And for the most part, everybody follows the rules now, of course, up in the higher, you know, politics and business, there's corruption, obviously. But um, but in India, there's less rules, I think, and almost no one follows any of the rules. I mean, maybe half do, half don't, I don't know. And when you're online to buy something, there's really no line. People just cut in front of each other, and if you you have to sort of muscle your way up to the counter and and have you know be handing your money out to the person to get served. It's it's a whole there's a whole art to that. I've never I've never mastered that one. I I try to be nice until I get frustrated enough that I just push my way in because usually I'm bigger than most Indian people, so I can just push my way in and just which I don't like doing, but. I mean, one time I was trying to change money at the airport and people just kept cutting in front of me. I couldn't get, I couldn't change my money. I couldn't get to the window. It was amazing. I don't know. They were like conspiring against me. It felt like, but they weren't, they were just, they all just went pushed to the window. So after a while, I just had to say, you know what? I'm next. And I just pushed people out of the way. And you know, obviously being an arrogant American, we're, we don't have any problem doing that. But anyway, that the chaos of the way of life in India is, is beautiful, actually. And it's something we can learn as Westerners. Um, it, for me, it's been a big part of learning because we think we have to live life one certain way. You know, we, th- we think here in America that the way we live is how the whole world lives. And let me tell you, when you go other places, especially India and to the east, to these, you know, third world countries sort of places, you really get a good look at how people are living. And it's completely different. 
So being able to understand that, being able to understand the people, and being able to accept all that, and um, I mean, of course, it doesn't mean you have to go live there, but so I took my train ride. That was, I, luckily, I was with some people I knew, so they could, you know, I at least was with people I knew at all times who knew, who were from India, so almost like a tour guide, but they were just my friends, you know, fellow Abiasis. So we got to Lucknow, and there was a big celebration there with, uh, it was a big spiritual gathering, and I forget how many people were there, 40,000, maybe 40,000 people at this gathering, all under one tent in meditation um, twice a day. So that was a wonderful gathering, and uh, it obviously it's hard to go into all the dirty details, but... Um, and then I left that gathering and I took a, I think I took a train to Delhi and I got on, I got on the Continental Airlines flight, which goes one, uh, nonstop from Delhi to Newark, New Jersey. And I think it's a 14 hour flight. And then that, that was finished my seven week trip. So I think I think it was a very interesting trip and and like I said there's a lot to learn as not only spiritually from your spiritual guide that that's a given but from traveling I think traveling really helps us build character and build uh build awareness and acceptance of more aspects of life traveling is wonderful I would say the more you can travel, the better. In fact, the the maintenance guy here at the building where the studio is, where I am now at Fractal Recording, his name's Barry. He was in the, the Merchant Marines for years, and he, he sailed all over the world. And he comes in here and tells me all these stories about where he sailed to. And he was the other day, he was telling me all about the test he had to take to it, make sure he could tie all the certain knots with the ropes. He was even telling me how when a rope gets cut in half, how they can basically tie the rope back to, like, I don't know. They sort of mingle the rope back together so it's like it it, it was never broken and it can go through a pulley and everything. I don't know. Fascinating stuff. So traveling is great and... um and so I hope I hope you can travel a bit. So we'll just take a quick break. You're listening to the Mystic Show, themysticshow.net. Question Her existence 
All right, thank you, Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam. Uh, that's a great song off their album, 10, which came out in 1992, which is 21 years ago. And I remember that when it was new and it was cool and everybody loved it. That was actually... That album, uh, Pearl Jam 10, was one of the best and almost like one of the founding father albums of the whole, you know, grunge or alternative movement, you know, along with Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and the whole Seattle music scene. So you're listening to The Mystic Show and we have a phone here and it works. (laughs) So you can actually call uh, 973-498- 8033-973-498-8033. And if you've taken a trip overseas or you've, you know, went and spent time with your spiritual guide, if you want to tell us about it, call me up. So I had a couple things I wanted to just talk about. Uh, the first thing is uh, Pause Your Life. I'm not sure if you've been to pauseyourlife.org, but you ever feel like you need a break in life? You ever feel like you just want to hit the pause button? Well, Pause Your Life has retreats for just that purpose. And we also have meetup groups here in northern New Jersey. But we have retreats as well. You can go to pauseyourlife.org and see all the details. And you can also sign up for a daily email, which is called the Daily Pause where you'll get a nice inspirational email and um, every morning you could get the email and you can read it and pause. Pause for a very short time. The other thing on the site, which is pretty cool, I want to pull it up right now, actually. It's called uh, Pause Now. This is such a cool web page. If you go to this webpage, there's a space for you. Here, you know what? I'll read it. Here's your opportunity right now. Take all your worries, stress, grudges, and chips on your shoulder and hand them over to the universe to take care of. In the form box below, list all the things that are weighing you down or bothering you right now. Then click the button below, which says, I'm totally free of all these things. We call that the, I'm totally free of all these things button. And the universe will handle your stress and worry for you. So it's a, it's a great way. We do, when we do the meetup groups, we have what we call the universe box. And everybody writes down all their worries and stress and anything that's bothering them. And we... Fold the, pe- fold the paper up and put it inside the universe box. We hand it over to the universe. It works really well, actually. It's so funny. And one of our participants liked the idea so much, she, create- she made a universe box for her house. <laughs> so, and you know, you're probably listening who I'm talking about. So, you can call 973-498-8033. 
as well. All right, so there's a couple of things. <laughs> TheMysticShow.net, there's, there's a lot of more information there. But I wanted to talk about um, being vulnerable. All right, this is an idea that, you know, I was, I, in the last segment I was talking about my trip to India and how when you're on a spiritual journey, you have to be willing to learn, you have to be open to learning, right? Well, if we're willing and open, almost by definition, we are vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable we run the risk that we might get hurt in some way. We might get our feelings hurt or we might suffer an injury. I mean, right? Anything can happen if you're vulnerable. But there's a great analogy here I want to share with you that sh- that really explains how we need to be vulnerable in order to grow. And the other thing too is that Just because we're vulnerable doesn't mean we're definitely going to get hurt or suffer. In fact, I think that's probably one of the secrets of life, that when you do put yourself into a vulnerable state or condition, you, you probably avoid more problems that way. Because the world, the people around you, it's almost like they will respect the fact that you're vulnerable and they won't do anything negative to you. Well, it's like a little baby, right? Like a little baby. Well, this is a different analogy, but it just came to mind. Like a little baby, a newborn baby is so vulnerable, right? I mean, if you did, if you just put the baby on the floor and did nothing, the baby would just die. So the baby is a hundred percent vulnerable. And, and if, anything goes wrong, it'll die. So that's the ultimate vulnerability. But because of that vulnerability, the mother and the family, you know, they ooh and they ah, they love this little baby so much, right? So so they take care of the baby. They love the baby. They're very affectionate. They're so proud of the baby, right? So it's almost like the baby's vulnerability is what um, draws the mother's love and attention. Because look, when the babies get older, when they become teenagers, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have any teenage kids, but um, those of you who do, you know that they're that <laughs> they're not so vulnerable anymore, and they're more arrogant, right? And they're more, well, they're in their own growing phase, which is fine, but. They're not as vulnerable, so they don't attract as much love from the parents, right? Like, parents don't, you know, ooh and ah over their teenagers, you know, hug them and kiss them and hold them. and So it's almost like the state of being vulnerable or dependent, it's another good word to use, um, it's almost like that in itself can draw to us the love, not only from the universe, not only from other people, maybe even from your spiritual guide. And in fact, I was reading one of the literature from the, the, the meditation practice I do, and 
one of the masters says, develop dependence. Total dependence on God. And at first, of course, being an American, first I read that, I said, what? That's crazy. I didn't say that, but I felt that. And I said, that is crazy. Develop dependence on God. Like total dependence. Like you can't, you can't do anything in your life. You can't take a drink of water without God's permission. Or his blessing, whatever. So I thought that was nuts, but well, what do you think? What do you think about developing dependence? Should you be dependent? Would it help you? Do you believe the masters when they tell you you should develop dependence? Okay, so talking about vulnerability, let's get to this analogy, and then then we're uh, we're kind of circling the field here for a landing already. I think I think today the I, the James Allen reading was a little longer than usual, and my my blabbing about my trip to India was a little long. I'm not sure. Let me know. Let me know. Send some feedback. Actually, if you go to themysticshow.net, there's a contact us form. You just you can actually send me uh, send me a note through there if you want. You don't have to call. So this analogy, okay, we have to be vulnerable to grow. That's that's my uh, statement. And just think of this analogy. Think of a tree, right? Think of a tree, right? A tree has branches, it has a trunk, and it has roots. And the roots, you know, right near the trunk of the tree, right as the roots go into the ground, they're big, thick roots, right? And as they go down into the ground, they get thinner and thinner right? They get smaller and smaller. And at the very end of the root, there's this like really little tender, vulnerable, it's almost like, you know, like a hair's width. That's that the tip of the root is so small and vulnerable and um, tender but guess what? That is the part of the root that can penetrate the hardest and the stoniest soil. So that little, it's almost like a hair. The little delicate hair of the root is what is able to penetrate down into the ground to grow and get more nutrients for the tree. You know, the out, the... The rest, the other parts of the root are hard, right? They're hard. But the very tip is very soft and vulnerable. But that's what gives it the ability to get in between the stones, to, to, to make its way down there. And think about it. If the tip of the root was afraid of vulnerability, if the tip of the root said, oh, I'm too vulnerable, I don't want to get hurt, I'm going to... I'm going to become hard like the rest of the root. Well, then it wouldn't be able to to grow. It wouldn't be able to go further into the soil. And the whole tree would die. So I I just love that example of of being vulnerable and that at the at the like Mary Morrissey says at the green growing edges 
of our of our journey. You know, we have to be vulnerable, tender, delicate. Obviously, um, you know, calm and peaceful in a human in human terms. But uh, yeah, so I wonder how if you ever enter that state of being vulnerable, it's kind of a deep topic and I, I'm kind of leaving it that way because I'd like to know you to think about it in terms of yourself, whatever that word vulnerability conjures up for you, um, might be worth thinking about. And it's, it's funny how that little delicate tip of the root, that little hair, hair-like tip of the root can get through the hardest soil. Isn't that interesting? Whereas a hard, the hard root, the bigger root cannot by itself. It needs the, that delicate tip of the root, that vulnerable tip. So there you have it, folks. The Mystic Show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a great episode today. And I'll be setting up the podcast, so we'll have uh, the archives of all the past shows available pretty soon. We do this show live every weekday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, and we replay the show every evening at 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. on the Fractal Stream. So it's time to move into your day. Maybe you want to take some time and meditate right now. Maybe maybe take five minutes. Or else, get on with your day. And as James Allen said, bring the right attitude to your day. And the circumstances, like a mirror, will reflect what you bring to it. So maybe give it a try. And keep shining. <laughs>